Well, good afternoon and thank you for joining me again for Business, The Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we've got one of our Harvard Business Review tips. This one's avoid mismatch, uh, micromatching managing by setting clear targets. We're also going to have a chat with Christina later on about the winner of the Global Impact Challenge. But right now, we're going to pop open and have a chat with Chartered Accountant Tony Vidray. Good afternoon, Tony. Hi, Julian. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So we're going to talk about uh, the uh, findings of the Bank Royal Commission and uh, how it's going to affect us. Yeah, I thought we'd have a chat around this. I, I mean, I guess the, the, the dust has settled a little bit on this Banking Royal Commission, but we're, we're just starting to see the effects of what it actually means um, in the community. And I and I just thought I'd share just a few observations yeah. as to how the bank's behaviours have begun to change. And I, I guess... What I, what I want people to take out of this conversation we'll have in the next few minutes is how it will affect them and what they need to do um, to get better organised and get you know, better prepared with this because things are... Well, I won't say things are going to change. Things, things have will changed. Change. So, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's it. And you could sort of see... <clears throat> I noticed there was, there was something you know, strange happening during the Royal Commission. The banks were already starting to change their behaviour. Now... I've been doing this for a long time now and I've never really had a bank or a broker ask for actual financial statements, um, you know, for the year end of June, um, you know, within about three or four months of the end of the financial year. They've, they've always kind of understood that accountants are pretty, you know, busy and the workload tends to get spread over, um, you know, the full year. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a bit unreasonable to expect June 18 figures to be done so, uh, so quickly straight after 30 June. But around about October... I started getting some pressure from brokers and banks that they wanted actual financial statements. They didn't even want drafts. They wouldn't accept a letter. Um, they was they were starting to tighten things up, and it was starting to cause a bit of distress because you know this one particular incident that I had. Um, you know the clients had already committed to purchasing um, a property, and they didn't have their, they hadn't even brought their tax work in, and um, you know and they needed it done yesterday. And, yeah. Um, this is sort of stuff that yeah that, that is that I'm going to talk about. So. So just some observations on, on the Royal Commission and, and let's call a spade a spade. The banks are in charge here. Let's, let's not make any, have any illusions whatsoever <laughs> that politicians or a Royal Commission is going to slap them over the wrist. The banks are in the business of lending money and as much as you know they want to have more and more regulation put on top of them, um, they, they, at the end of the day, it, all those costs are going to get passed on to us. And already, yep. people have already started to draw the conclusion that if you're going to get rid of the mortgage-broking industry, it means that um, yeah, prices are just going to go up because people are not going to have the time to shop around. There's, there'll still be people who'll do that sort of stuff, but I, I, I'm, I don't agree with that part of the recommendations at all. I, I think the broking industry should is, stay. Yeah, and yeah. I have no interest. I have no financial interest in it at all. I don't get any kickbacks or anything like that at all from. Yeah, I- from financial planners or from financial, um, sorry, from brokers mortgage. at all. But I, yeah, mortgage brokers. But I think it, they provide a service where, for the time poor person, if you think the think about the way the world has changed, you've got parents now both are, both parents work yes. and they're both working full time. They don't have margin uh, margins in their in their days or their weeks to run around and do this sort of stuff. So to me, it, it is a service. And I and yeah. I think it was a little bit insulting to that whole industry to say that oh, they just get the trailer commission and they do nothing. Yeah, I um, agree. Well, yeah. the brokers, yeah. Well, the brokers that I know <laughs> do quite a lot along the way. So, you know, you're going to find that costs are going to increase if, if that goes ahead. What I found interesting is everyone talked about the impact on, on um, 
brokers and on financial planners. No one talks about the impact on accountants. And I've been really struggling and thinking about how it's going to impact the accounting industry. And, and already I've alluded to it. Everything's yeah. going to become urgent. You know, I've told my staff just get used to the fact that everything from now on will, will be urgent. People will, you know, want their stuff done yesterday. They'll, um, you know, they haven't dropped their work in and they'll need it for banks. And I, I can just see this compression of work where, it, you know, accounting firms are going to be quite, um, you know, I, I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to probably have to have 40 staff between July and, and um and, yeah, and October, and then have and then have ten, yeah, ten for the for the second half of the year when when things get quiet. Because with a lot lot of online software, a lot of you know a lot of clients are going to say, well, it's all there. Why haven't you done it? Well, when you've got a hundred of them to do, someone's going to be first, and someone's, someone's going to be, be last. last. So, yeah. yeah, that's it. So it's going to be a really a really interesting you know tightening. Um, there there already is. We're already seeing it. There's a tightening of credit. Okay, so when there's yeah. a tightening of credit. There's more things you're going to have to do. I'm already seeing a lot of letters that we've been asked to sign, which is way outside our scope and way outside um, our uh, professional indemnity insurances. So, so some stories I can already share with you is a, a bank who wanted a, a, an accountant to sign a letter for, for a client who had not lodged tax returns for seven years wow. um, to say that they're, they're profitable and that they have all their liabilities. They have no liabilities. You know, no, you no accountant is ever going to sign something no. like that so so the message out of this I guess is that, that as a consumer, as a customer, as a business person you need to get organised you need to get your stuff up to date keep it up to date, don't fall behind in those sort of things, if you know that you, if you know A, that you're going to go and buy something, have the have all your ducks in a row first, have your financials done, your tax returns done your finance approved, then go looking don't do it in <laughs> In, in the uh, in the wrong order because those days of those impulse purchases are oh, I just happened to go to oh, as I've had like on a Monday morning a panic phone call just went on an auction on the weekend just to have a look and I bought a pot a house yeah honey we bought a zoo uh, <laughs> so um, yeah that, that sort of stuff that you, you really you really cannot you know do those sort of things you have to get organised not only that but also start and and one thing that I, I've actually noticed that I've I've never really done this for myself either, have a look at the contracts with your bank and have a look at the expiry dates, all right? Yeah. Now, this is this is something that tripped the whole country or the whole world into the GFC where, you know, those people in, in America, low socioeconomic zones, signed up home loans, didn't fully understand the home loan to start with, but they had a three-year, say, interest-only period, yeah. but then it reverted to P&I, and that's where they really got into a lot of trouble. Now... You think about the Sydney market for a minute where someone who may have had, say, you know, $300,000 saved up, um, put a deposit on a house, bought something worth $1.2 million in Sydney, borrowed a million dollars, okay? And the only way they could get a loan is to get that loan as interest only. Yep, 40000 a year. So it's about, that comes out at about 3500 a month. Unless you're looking closely at that contract, you may have a situation where the bank will write to you after three years or five years or whatever you've signed up for and say, oh, by the way, as of next month, it reverts to P&I and your repayments are now $7,500 per month, right? That's the sort of stuff that that is... And you're not going to be able to refinance, right? You are not going to be able to pick up and go, oh, I'll go anywhere, I'll go elsewhere. Well, I hate to tell you, but it's not going to happen. And they're they're all singing from the same hymn book these days, so... You know the, the the pressure that is going to be brought to bear, and I'm already seeing 
you know, we're already seeing house prices just starting to come off the boil for no other reason. Well, t- actually, there's two reasons. I don't want to get... Well, no, there's actually two reasons that I'll share with you. One is that, yeah, demand, people can't get finance. So as a result, people having to drop their prices um, to, to reach a point where people can borrow. But one interesting story that I've actually heard, and I don't want to get political, we might save this for another day, is um, people are scared of the Labor Party coming in and the 50% capital gains tax discount being removed. Okay. So it is actually changing people's behaviour and there's a lot of people who are out there selling their properties now um, before, before any any sort of before any change of government or or change in um, in the law. So that's mm. a that's, so that's another flow and effect that is pushing you know prices effect. down yeah. and stamping it. So, is, yeah. is the uh, slowdown also happening on business loans as well? Is that becoming a challenge? Do you know? Um, yeah, um, short answer is yes. Uh, the long answer is definitely yes. Um, the banks are asking for more and more. Information. One thing, and, and again, I, I probably shouldn't shoot myself in the foot here, but I've never understood the banks and the brokers' attitude towards business loans. Where here we are now in March of you know, 2019, and they want the June 18 figures, right? Yeah. I, I've never seen a loan, you know, paid. Um, loans are paid with today's dollars and tomorrow's dollars, not yes, not, June, not June 18s. And I kind of get that. Yeah, the June 18 figures are kind of indicative of how the business is going. Um, but I think the banks are starting to get a little bit smarter and saying, yeah, that's great. They're the June 18 figures. What do they look like right up until today? What's your forecast? Give me your... And a lot of small businesses are not in the space of um, projecting their cash flows, yeah. project doing profitability yeah. um, projections. So, again, you, you know, you add that onto the accounting industry, the tax industry, that's another another you know job for us mm. to do with, with, a, with a client. And yeah. it, it, um, it's going to get... Um, it's going to get messy, Julian. I'll tell you now, it's going to get very messy. We'll wait and see. We'll keep talking about it over the next few months, eh? Yep, that's it. So uh, get organised and, yeah, don't don't let those facilities um, expire or, or flip, you know, revert without you um, knowing about it. One last comment to as well. Keep one thing in mind that a lot of people don't realise is that with business loans, say you've got seven business loans, right? Yeah. And they're all, and six of them are fine, and, what, and you accidentally default on one of those business loans, Read the contract that you signed with the bank. A lot of them have clauses in there to say you default on one, you've defaulted on all of them. And what happens is they start charging you the default interest rate on all the loans, even though you've only defaulted on one. Okay. Wow. Good advice. Well, thanks very much for that, uh, Tony. We'll have a chat with you again next month. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Julian. Thank you. Bye-bye. Tony Vidray there with uh, some his ideas on uh, the effect of the bank rolling royal commission and we can certainly see some of that effects happening. Time to have our chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you? I'm good and you're jetting about again in, in Brisbane today. Oh. Yes, we're in Brisbane today. We've just delivered a, um, a workshop this morning. But we had the grand final last night of the Global Impact Challenge, the Singularity U Global Impact Challenge. And the winner um, was... Oh, amazing. The the winner was Marine Futures Lab, um, and their moonshot is to count all the fish in the sea, which sounds quite crazy when you say it just like that. But it's not so crazy when you consider that 60% of the source of food in the world comes from the ocean. Uh, oh. and, what we, and we reached peak fishing in 1995, uh, and we've been on a decline ever since. So it's really important that we start monitoring um, and being able to measure what's going on in the ocean. So it not only benefits Australia, but it also benefits the world because what they're looking at is solving food security, environment, water health, 
you know, global grand challenge issues, uh, there's more than one... um, (laughs) There must be an analogy with a fish there, you know, more than one fish in the sea. Uh, But so really crucial that we know what's going... What they're doing at the moment is they've actually got water... uh, cameras underwater uh, and they're counting that they would stop a frame um, of film and count how many fish are in that actual frame so what they're trying to do is bring more uh, more exponential technologies into the process so that they can make that whole um, process a lot easier what made them stand out as the winner over the others uh, I think it's because they actually had, um, because it, it solves a number of the grand challenges. So as, as I said before, there's environment, there's water, there's health, uh, but most importantly, food security. It also happens to be um, that where they've done their studies mostly uh, are on the outskirts of third world countries, on the oceans, you know, under India and places like that, So and Africa. Um, so the fact that fishing is the most sustainable, A, um, avenue of employment, but the source of food is, is really crucial. So the whole point of the Global Impact Challenge is where can you have the greatest impact? Uh, mm. So if you start it at that point and then you can extend that outwards, it becomes a bigger a bigger avenue. Um, mm. One of the other winners that I'd like to... Oh, sorry, not winners. One of the other people that pitched last night is an organisation called Fuel Switch. And what they're doing is that they're um, using waste product off the land to create fuel for planes. So we know that there's more and more air travel happening. We know that there's more and more emissions, um, detrimental emissions happening because of the increased plane travel. So what these guys have done is they've created a system where they use um, in, uh, waste from farmland. So they actually pay the farmers for the waste and they use the fuel to uh, create less carbon emissions, so to speak. So They've got a deal they're trialling it at the moment at Brisbane Airport, um, which is, you know, weird because we're at Brisbane with Virgin mm-hmm. Airlines. So this whole system has actually been trialled. So you think about what the concept is and the fact that it's currently being trialled, that's pretty amazing, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other, I'd really like to um, commend two teams that were from Newcastle as well, so Elite right. Robotics, the Hill Hariram um, pitch last night, yeah. and also... Um, uh, Declan Edwards from BU Coaching pitched last night. So Declan's coaching was all about the um, was all about the envir- uh, mental health issues. So there was a great benefit in what they're looking at with a with an app um, and looking at, at development down the line using actual augmented reality to create um, almost like a or they called it a coach in your pocket. Uh, and Elite Robotics um, have got a, a system out where they're um, using robotics. And to to create smarter cities, uh, so you know, really proud to have had a couple of Newcastle entrants in there as well. Excellent, thank you. Well, you have a safe trip back to Newcastle, and we'll have a chat with you next week. Look forward to it, Julian. Have a great week. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Christina, there with uh, some uh, interesting. Uh, concepts there for it's a, it's good to see some of this innovation happening especially from newcastle time for our harvard business review tip this particular one is avoid micromanaging by setting clear targets for your direct reports micromanagement isn't a personality flaw it's a breakdown in the fundamentals of delegation as a manager you should be able to give someone a task without having to look over their shoulder The key is to provide clear goals. If you want your direct report to improve customer satisfaction, define by how much and specify which elements of satisfaction are most important. You should also explain the constraints of the project. Stay within this budget 
or follow these policies or get my approval on this type of decision. Without these guidelines, you're likely to leave the person flailing and you in turn will want to hover. But be careful not to give too many constraints. Telling your general counsel, uh, for example, to get the contract in place and then handing them the term term sheet on a napkin is likely to be vague. By saying, I need to approve all edits to each step of the negotiation is too much of a constraint and will waste everyone's time. You need to find the right balance for you. And it's sometimes very difficult, isn't it, to uh, delegate to people without micromanaging and hovering. And I know a lot of managers do it, but sometimes we just have to let go, providing we've set the right goals. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at uh, the Bank Royal Commission findings and the effect that it's having and with Tony Vidre and uh, his comments there is the pressure's coming on to accountants so uh, if you are applying for loans whether it be housing loans or business loans you better make sure that you're getting your financial information into the accountants with plenty of time for them to process that for you. We've also had a look at uh, the winner of the global impact challenge there and the, and the great innovations that are happening here in Australia. In a moment, Sarah Farley-Adams will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to talk about digital strategies in your business with Kimberly Claire Campbell. We'll have a minute on innovation with Christina and we'll have some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for Business, The Law and You at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and, as Zig Ziglar once said, Lack of direction, not lack of time, is the problem. We all have 24-hour days. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.